Hello all, I have a great episode for you here. I'm going to do another edition of Ranked, which is going to focus on QBs and their coaches for this coming season in the NFL. I'm going to talk about the NBA playoffs so far and what each series looks like and just the overall how are things going and who are the leading players and points per game and all that stuff. And I'll just go through all that. I'm also going to talk about out of the top running backs in the NFL, which I would choose if I had to choose one for the next five years and why. I'm going to kind of go through the top running backs in the NFL there for that. And I'm also going to talk about the NBA draft lottery after it was announced on Thursday of this past week, Thursday the 20th, um, who got the top pick and what all their picks are. I'm going to kind of talk through some of the top players that could be drafted there, some different trades and things that could happen. But I will be giving my official NBA draft preview very soon, but that won't be all that big in the first place. And so I'll talk about the NBA lottery here. And um, as always, I'll end the episode with a hot take, this time about Steph Curry. And so um, I have a great episode for you here. I hope you'll enjoy, and here we go. So, as always, I'm going to begin my episode by going through the news that's happened in this past week in sports that I want to address later on in the episode. And there are actually a couple of different things that have happened that I want to talk about here. And first is that Des Bryant, the former Cowboys receiver who was an All-Pro multiple times, will be um, taking a workout with the Baltimore Ravens, who are, many think, kind of need a wide receiver at the moment, though they do have Marquise Brown um, among other people on their team there. And so if they were to add Des Bryant, I think that'd be a big piece because I think they need more dynamic wide receivers. And I think he could end up being good if he were just able to get back into the league um, since he's been out for the past couple of seasons. Another thing to note is that Gerald McCoy, the former All-Pro defensive tackle who was on both the Panthers and the Bucks recently, but most recently signed with the um, Cowboys in this offseason, um, has been cut from the Cowboys due to a torn ACL um, because they had clauses uh, in his contract that allowed them to cut him due to injury if they needed to. And so this is a big loss for the Cowboys, but um, it makes sense that they're trying to get their money back for him since he won't be playing this season. And they may use that money on getting a different type of nose tackle like him, like Damon Harrison or one of those guys who could really fill in the exact same role probably for about the exact same money. Another thing to note is that Fernando Tatis Jr., who is in his second season in the big leagues, of the MLB for the San Diego Padres um, is having a historic season at the moment um, where I believe he has 11 home runs, 23 runs, and 28 RBIs through the first 23 games, though that's not completely updated. That was as of Wednesday of this past week. Um, And this is completely amazing considering that if Tatis Jr. here were to keep this pace over 162 games, which he won't be able to, obviously, because they're only playing 60 games, but if he were able to keep this pace over 162 games, he would have 155 runs, 77 home runs, and 197 RBIs. And now, obviously, baseball players have a tendency to fizzle out and heat up at different sections of the season, so you would expect this stat line to begin to decrease sometime soon here. But he's having a historic season so far, um, in which many people kind of didn't believe he'd have this big of a jump in his second year, but he's playing great for the Padres and so far has been absolutely amazing. Another thing to note is that um, Gordon Hayward of my Boston Celtics will be out for the next four weeks due to a um, grade three, I believe, right ankle sprain, which is a very serious um, problem for the Celtics here considering he's playing amazing in the bubble so far. 
and that's about a loss of 17 points per game because he was producing very well from so far. And so it'll be interesting to see how the Celtics adjust to not having Gordon Hayward, though so far in the two games that they've played the Sixers without having Gordon Hayward, which were Game 2 and Game 3, they won both of those games, one by a blowout and one by a slim margin just the night this was recording. And so... I think this could end up hurting the Celtics a little bit, but if they are able to make it through those four weeks without him, which I believe would be the conference finals or be the time that he'd be able to come back or so, um, I think it would be a great addition then because they would have learned that they can play well without him, but then adding another great piece can also help you in a critical time like that. Another thing to note is that Victor Oladipo, the star of the Pacers, is getting his eye evaluated due to an um, injury that may have happened on uh, Wednesday after, no, not not Wednesday, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Tuesday. And so, excuse me, it will be interesting to see if there is an actual injury here with Victor Oladipo, but it's not really expected that he's probably going to have a long-lasting injury. Sorry, I have hiccups here. And then the final thing to note is that Mike Conley is officially back playing for the Utah Jazz after he missed the first two games of the playoffs here due to the birth of his son, um, he quarantined and he was able to play in Game 3 of the Jazz Nuggets series, which was this afternoon um, of recording, which is Friday the 21st. And um, so he actually played very well in that game, considering he hadn't played all that very prior to it. But And the Jazz won that game as well. And so um, it's interesting to see that he's back. But um, it'll be interesting to see if that affects the Jazz by any means having him back, considering he wasn't playing great prior to when he left. And so that's all the news that I want to address later on in the episode. Now I'm going to move on to another edition of Ranked, which will be about NFL QB and coach duos. So, as I said, I'm now going to do another edition of Ranked, which is going to be the top five QB, co- and, QB and coach duos in the NFL for 2020 here and so this is really just the best duo of coach and QB, whether that be by um, kind of having the same type of mindset or the same kind of uh, the coach being able to call, call plays that fit the player's um, ability best and stuff like that. And just which QB and coach mix the best together and work the best together um, in the NFL right now. And so starting off at number five on, the, on this list. And so this was a really difficult spot for me to get. Because I think that there's no clear number five. There are clear top four, I think, in my mind. But it was difficult for me to find the one right here that would fit in number five. There are a couple options, I think. I think you have Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz, who are a good combo right now and really work well together. But I think, um, actually, that number five should be Mike McCarthy, the new head coach of the Cowboys, and Dak Prescott. Because I think that Mike McCarthy's system that he ran in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers could actually really fit well with what Dak Prescott does well. And I think they could end up actually working well together generally. Because I think that the system that he would run works will fit Dak Prescott's abilities well, which are kind of, he's a solid drop-back passer, he has some mobility that can get around the pocket, and the passing game is really set up for him to succeed, and he doesn't really have to make his decisions fully on his own, while he can still be somewhat creative. And so I think that this two, these two can be a great duo in the NFL here this coming season with just two amazing minds together. At number four, I have Lamar Jackson and John Harbaugh, and there's kind of a specific reason for this. We knew entering the NFL that Lamar Jackson was a dynamic talent, but it would be difficult to see how, um, how he would be used in the NFL because many people thought he could be a wide receiver and things like that, and no one really knew what was being looked at for all this. And so I think that um, 
I think that as I'm watching here, Luca limp off the court, which is gonna be serious for Dallas. Um, if they want to win the series with the Clippers, but um, Lamar Jackson coming to the year, no one really knew what he was gonna be. They didn't really know what system could fit him well, who what would fit him best. He might be a wide receiver. Some people thought things like that. But John Harbaugh was able to make a system for Lamar Jackson that used his abilities to the best that they could because he's a very talented player, obviously, as we saw this season, but he just might not have been used best anywhere else. But John Harwood designed the offense around him, which made him succeed this year. And so I think that makes this a great QB coach duo because the coach was willing to design the offense to work with him and um, work to his talent, which is a great thing to have between your QB and coach. At number three, I have Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. And this one's really a lot because of tenure at this point. I think that these two obviously have won a Super Bowl together and they really just seem to fit well together. Russell Wilson kind of is a great leader and works well while Pete Carroll also has that quality. They seem to have the same kind of mindset which is really aggressive and always going for it and that kind of stuff. And they seem to just consistently be in the same um the same idea with whatever they're doing and what they want to do in the game. They both seem to buy into the system they're running. Pete Carroll has consistently adjusted his offense to work with Russell Wilson, and Russell Wilson has consistently ran the offense to the best of his ability without making mistakes. And so you see that this duo works really well together. They have great tenure now after having been together since 2012, and so I think that's really why they're at number three on this list. And coming in at number two is actually a very historic QB coach duo, and that is... Um, Drew Brees and Sean Payton. And we know that these two have been together for a while now, since I think 2007-2008 when Sean Payton got to New Orleans and Drew Brees got there as well. They won one Super Bowl, kind of like Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll did as well, but um, we've consistently seen every year Drew Brees puts up great stats and has put in an offense, helped to make him succeed. The offense has adjusted to recently when he's been, he doesn't have the same strength that he used to have on his passes, and so the offense has adjusted to a bunch of underneath passes that have made him succeed very well recently and make the Saints a top team. And we know that Sean Payton's doing a great job of making sure that Drew Brees is always in the best situation. It seems that the two of them work really well together because they've been together for almost 14 years now. And so this is just a great QB coach, too, and that's why I have them in number two. But there's one that I think is clearly above all the others at the moment, and that is Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. And so we know that these two fit together very well schematically. Patrick Mahomes is that really air raid offense kind of quarterback that he ran, especially at Texas Tech there. Great passer, has mobility. And that really fits what Andy Reid does on offense. He's a great passing kind of coach. He really loves to pass the ball a ton and runs a very um, very aggressive offense, which we've seen before in many different places, including Philadelphia. And so I think it's perfect that these two are together because I think they can both work really well here. Andy Reid's a great aggressive coach. Patrick Mahomes is a great aggressive quarterback. And they both want to have a high-flying offense here that's going to do amazing passing and just put up great stats and numbers and win a lot and so that's why this these two are probably the best duo of wide receiver of quarterback and coach here um and are the number one qb coach duo in 2020 for the nfl though all these five i think are actually fairly close because they're all very talented coaches and very talented quarterbacks and so now i'm going to move on to talking about the nba so far and what all really happened and kind of what teams of things could sweep and some upsets i could see happening So, as you know, the NBA playoffs have been going on recently over the past couple of days, and many different things have actually happened so far in the NBA playoffs, and so I'm going to kind of go through so far who all has been doing well, 
and just all that different stuff here as the ML as the NBA playoffs are going on and what all these series look like at the moment with who's leading which which series and um just the general overall um <clears throat> scores of these series at the moment. And so starting off the playoffs, you had the Nuggets and the Jazz in the first game, which the Nuggets won fairly handily in overtime, 135 to 125, putting them up. And on that first day, you also had the Raptors. And so far, the Raptors, actually, I'm just going to go over that whole series. So far, the Raptors have absolutely been beating the brakes off of the Nets here. You had in game one, the Raptors beat the Nets 134 to 110. You had in game two, the Raptors beat the Nets 104 to 99, which is by far the closest game of all of the Raptors Nets games so far. And you also saw in game three the Raptors beat the Nets 117 to 92. And so, so far, we have consistently seen the Raptors just beat the Nets repeatedly here, which isn't shocking considering the Nets didn't have that all, all that much of a talented team entering this here. But I kind of thought they could steal one game, maybe. Um, but I think that. That hope is really beginning to disappear here in concerning they're entering that game four, which is the make or break here for the Nets, which will be on Sunday, the twenty third. And so, um, I think we'll be interesting to see how that goes. I assume Toronto will probably sweep them at this point. As I well, as I said, Toronto would win this series and so far I'm correct on that. As I was talking about, the Jazz Nuggets series has been interesting so far, with the Nuggets taking the first game by ten points, but then also losing the next two games to the Jazz by a Fair margin, 124 to 87 in one of them. Um, and then also, give me a second, 124 to 105 in another. And so, so far, the Jazz have taken that lead 2-1 over the Nuggets, which has been interesting. And now that they get Mike Conley back, that could really help them. But I do suspect the Nuggets, <clears throat> excuse me, will come back here and get to play much better as the in as they get towards the end of the series. And I think this could end up being a long one here, going maybe even seven games, um, which I think could be very interesting. I did not expect that. I thought the Nuggets would do better than this. But um, I don't think it's done for the Nuggets here. I think the Nuggets still could end up coming back to beat the Jazz. Another thing to note is that the Celtics are up. 3-0 to zero on the 76ers so far in the series, which is absolutely amazing, considering many people believe the 76ers could make a run here in the playoffs, though they lost Ben Simmons, that really hurts them. I think that some people, including me, thought the 76ers would at least still one, maybe two, but now that the Celtics are up 3-0, entering Sunday when they have the chance to end the series, I think that it could easily be ended um, in four games here, though I think it may go five with the 76ers getting that fourth game here. But I don't see any way it goes six at this point because I don't believe the 76ers will win two straight games. And so um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. So far, the Celtics have been fairly dominant over the 76ers um, in the series. And then you also have the Mavericks and the Clippers, which has been very interesting to watch. I thought that you may see the, the Mavericks actually make a good run on the Clippers here because I think these are two... Um, teams are actually very talented. I think the Mavericks have a great offense, which could really help them against that Clippers defense. Um, and so far, the Mavericks offense has really actually played a big role. In the first game, many people believe that Mavericks should have probably won the first game. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, but Christoph Porzingis was taken out of the game due to a, um, a ejection, which was very bad in many people's opinion. He didn't really do anything, but he was still ejected. And then they barely lost that game to the Clippers, but then they also won the second game fairly handily and are so far at the moment losing the third game to the Clippers, um, which would make them down 2-1 to the Clippers after this game. But I think this could end up being another long series here between two good teams, but I still believe in the Clippers, as I said at the beginning of the playoffs. 
Another thing to note is that the Magic were able to steal the first game of that series against the Bucks here in the playoffs, but the Bucks came back and won the second game fairly handily as well. Um, but I think that's an interesting matchup considering both those teams are very good, but I thought the Bucks might even sweep the Magic here, and they have not done that so far, obviously, because the Magic won the first game. But I do suspect the Bucks to end up winning probably in five or six at most. I think that the Heat and the Pacers series could maybe end up being the best series of the whole first round because you have two teams here, which I think are very even. Though Miami has taken a 2-0 lead on the Pacers, I think the Pacers will come back here a little bit and make it much more interesting. Maybe even make it go seven games, as I think they could easily do here between two even teams in my mind. Though I still think the Heat do come out of this series to face the Bucks in the second round. Another thing to note is that the Thunder and the Rockets have had a great series so far where the Rockets have actually dominated um, through both games, and will maybe dominate in the third game here on Saturday, the 22nd. Um, Russell Westbrook is nowhere in sight, and nobody knows if he's going to end up coming back here due to his injury. But um, so far, the Rockets have played much better than I thought they would without Russell Westbrook. I thought that the Thunder could steal a couple on the Rockets here, but so far they haven't shown anything that's worthy of beating the Rockets. Um, and so the Rockets are up 2-0 entering Saturday. And then the final series that has not been talked about here is the Trailblazers and the Lakers. And this is actually one of the best series, in my opinion. I think that the Trailblazers are coming off the hot um, run they had in the um, seeding games of the bubble and the play-in game. And I think that led them to winning the first game against Lakers, who really didn't play all that well so far. But they did end up losing the second game to the Lakers by a fair margin, making the series 1-1. But I still think this one could easily go six or seven games between two very even teams here. They're both very talented. Um, but that is how it's going so far. So the teams that are sweeping at the moment are the Celtics, who are 3-0, the Raptors, who are 3-0, and um, and also the Houston, who is 2-0, and Miami, who is 2-0 as well. But the rest of the series are 1-1 so far. It'll be interesting to see how the playoffs turn out with all of that. And so that's how the series all looks so far in the NBA playoffs. And so far, everything I've said is basically correct, but we'll just have to see if it continues. And now I'm going to move on to talking about who I would choose out of the top running backs in the NFL if I had to choose one for the next five years. So, at the moment, there are many different running backs who are doing very well in the NBA. You have Derrick Henry, who just came off a dominant performance in the playoffs and led the league in yardage throughout the regular season. You have Nick Chubb, who played amazing throughout the regular season last year as well, though his team did not make the playoffs. You have McCaffrey, who was arguably an MVP candidate and played absolutely amazing throughout the whole season as well, catching tons of passes over 1,000 yards there and over 1,000 yards rushing, and was an all-pro. You have Elliott, who's been playing absolutely amazing recently in that Cowboys offense. You also have Saquon Barkley, who kind of had a down year last year, but I think he is very, very, very good. And I think you also have running backs like Dalvin Cook, Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb, and Alvin Kamara, who are all very talented. And so I'm going to kind of order these guys and who I would pick from top to bottom um, for the next five years. But starting off at number one, obviously, of the guy I'd want most over the next five years is Saquon Barkley. And so there are a couple of reasons for this. One, he is on the, um, well, he's the most recently drafted of all of these running backs, which means he has the most left on his rookie contract, which means you don't have to pay him as much, which is helpful as well to have when you are looking for running backs because you don't really want to pay running backs a lot, um, and that's a serious problem. You also have, um, <clears throat> excuse me, 
you also have the fact that he did have a down year last year. It was still absolutely amazing, though, and I think he's a dynamic pass catcher while also being an absolutely amazing runner. He can be a power runner. He can be a speed runner. He just brings everything that you want in a running back, and that's why I would take him, number one, for the next five years. At number two, I'd probably have Christian McCaffrey. He's very dynamic overall. He He's a great pass catcher, which really helps his cause because I think that um the pass catching is a big part of what you want in a running back these days in an NFL that has tons and tons of passing. You really want a running back who can pass catch, and he's proven that with over 1,000 yards um, receiving last season, over 100 um, receptions as well. And so I think that... um that he is very, very good, but I just don't think that he is as good as Saquon Barkley here, because I think Saquon Barkley is a slightly better runner, and I think he's on a um, a longer contract as well at the moment. The third is kind of where it gets questionable for me, because I would say Derrick Henry here, because I really like to favor Derrick Henry, because I'm a Titans fan overall, and I really like him, but I think that also he's probably prime for an injury at this point, considering he... Um, he runs in a style that is really set up for injury. He's kind of plays in a way that you should get injured considering he is running at people instead of trying to run away from the people while on the field. He's really attempting to get contact, which is not good as a running back because it tends to get you injured. And so I wouldn't pick him at the moment because that worries me. But I also think Elliott's going to kind of get drop off soon, and he's on Monter's contract, which really hurts. Um, his cause as well, because I think that he is very good, but his contract isn't worth what he is at, and I think that also he, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that also he is slightly better than everyone rates him at the moment, because I think he's just a little bit better pass catcher than you would think, but I also think that um, he just is not worth that contract that said, and I don't think he's as good as Henry necessarily, I just think he's less injury prone. So at number three, it would either be Elliott or Henry, but I think it's very closely a tie. I think right after them, you have a guy like Alvin Kamara, who I think is very dynamic too, great pass catcher among things. I think he's very, very good, and I think you also have another running back in Aaron Jones, who I think is actually very underrated for the Green Bay Packers, and I think he could be also in this conversation because I think he played amazing last season with almost 18 touchdowns. <clears throat> Excuse me. And over a 1,000 yards. And so I think that you have a bunch of great running backs in the NFL at this moment, and I think that it's very good that they have all this talent because that means that you're going to have a better future for the NFL. Now I'm going to move on to talking about the NBA draft lottery, who some of the top prospects are and what I could see happening there. So, the NBA Draft Lottery happened on Thursday, the 20th of August here, and um, it was highly anticipated with many teams looking to get that top pick in the draft, but coming out with the top pick was the Minnesota Timberwolves, which I think is actually very interesting, considering though they didn't play well this season, they do have some talent on the roster already, with D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns, who are both very good. Um, also, Andrew Wiggins, another player that, uh, not Andrew Wiggins, sorry, not Andrew Wiggins, but, um, <clears throat> excuse me, who am I looking for? I'm trying, if he comes down, I'll tell you here. But, um, they do have some talent on their, um, roster there for the Timberwolves, and so it's interesting they're getting a top pick also with this talent already, but I think I could easily see them jumping if they make the right pick here, um, 
in this spot and really help their team. So I could th see them getting a lot better. Number two, you have the Warriors, who is very interesting to see. I'll kind of talk about them in a minute, storyline-wise. You have Hornets at three, Bulls at four, Cavaliers at five, Hawks at six, Pistons at seven, all the normal subjects there who are usually at the bottom of the draft here and ready to draft in this position. At eight, you have the Knicks, which is very sad considering the Knicks fans have been absolutely terrorized recently over the past couple of years for never getting the top draft pick the way they want. Um, even though they play absolutely terribly. Um, and I think it's very sad that their organization has just had this terrible of luck and haven't done all that well. But they're at number eight. You have at number nine, the Washington Wizards, who did make the play-in, but were by far the worst team in the play-in. At number ten, you have the Suns, who just actually made an, an incredible run in the, uh, the um, play-in games for the bubble here. And um, that is because he had, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the Suns had Devin Booker play absolutely amazing with their young core of Michael Bridges playing well, DeAndre Ayton playing well, and um, John Cameron Johnson playing well as well. Um, and I think that with this team having gone 8-0 in the bubble, I think that it's great that they're adding another top draft here, and they could be a dynamic team for next season if they get everything going with all the young talent they have on their team there, especially if they make the great draft pick here. At number 11, you have the Spurs, who haven't been in the lottery since, I think, well, officially in the lottery without trading into it since, um, <clears throat> excuse me, since the 1990s when they began their great run that they had recently of playoffs. And so they are in the water here, and they could get a good pick at 11. I think that would really help their team because they are show that they have young talent in DeJounte Murray and Derek White. They're on that team. They have some other great players in Rudy Gay and players like that. And LaMarcus Aldridge is a great older player on that team as well who can really lead them. So I think they have a dynamic team. They could end up doing very well with a good pick here in the lottery. You also have the Sacramento Kings, who have had a lot of top draft picks recently, but they didn't do all. But none of them have really turned out absolutely amazing. Aaron De'Aaron Fox, and so it'll be interesting to see what they do here as well. At number twelve, at thirteen, you have the Pelicans with Zion, who we and almost everyone expects to get better for the coming season. And then at fourteen, you have the Celtics through the Memphis Grizzlies. Which is absolutely amazing to consider. The Celtics are contending for a championship at the moment and are making a great um, start in the playoffs so far and considered one of the contenders for a championship or at least an Eastern Conference um, Eastern Conference Finals appearance here. And so um, it's interesting that they have this 14 pick because they do get it from the Grizzlies who did not end up making the playoffs. And so if they make the right pick here at number 14 and do something correctly here, they could easily be set for next season. I kind of want to dive into that here. The Celtics, who do have this number 14 pick, could set themselves up for a championship run next season when you have Kemba coming back, you have Tatum and uh Tatum and Brown, will, will Kemba will come back fully healthy after he's been out part of the season. Tatum and Brown will both assumedly um, move into complete stardom, as may expect them to next season after they're beginning to adjust that here. And they could both become great stars in the NBA and able to lead a team with their talent. <clears throat> Excuse me, Gordon Hayward will come back from injury, and he will hopefully play well when that happens. Marcus Smart will be back as well on this team as a great defensive leader. And then here you could add a good draft pick at number 14 who could have an immediate role. I've seen Cole Anthony as a player there, and I think he could break out well. RJ Hampton's another good player there. I think there are many talented players you could get at 14, and if you get the right one, I think you could easily be set up for next season. Having what all you have right now, you have your team get healthier, and you have your players become full-on stars with Tatum and Brown. 
round. You get a good draft pick here to add to your lineup as well, who could play well. And maybe you go out in free agency and get a solid big kind of player, or a good center or somebody like that, like Mo Bamba or Tristan Thompson or one of those kind of people who could play center. And that would be filling out your roster right there and getting prepared for the coming season. I think that could easily make the Celtics a championship contender if they did everything right here and add all the correct pieces. Another team I also wanted to talk about here quickly was the Warriors with that number two pick who were also in a kind of Celtics-like situation where they could easily put themselves as contenders after getting out of the lottery here. So obviously the Warriors have Steph Curry and Klay Thompson on their roster who are both dynamic, but there are multiple ways the Warriors could set themselves up for next season. They already have Andrew Wiggins as well who I think will who will adjust and adapt on this team and get better and better and better as well on this team, and he could get good. I think Eric Pascal, who kind of broke out last season, played very well for them as well. And you're able to uh, to um, kind of learn what all your young players were like and kind of develop some of your young players because they got so much playing time this season. And so having two talented players in Curry and Thompson and then having all these different um, younger pieces and then adding a draft pick here at the very top of the draft, James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, one of those kind of players, who's at the top of the draft here, could easily make them a dynamic team for next season and a championship contender with Steph, who I believe is an amazing player, and I'll talk about that in a minute, and adding a great player here could really help them. Though you could also see them with this pick looking to trade for Giannis if he were to not succeed with the Bucks this year in the playoffs and will want out. If Giannis does want out, the Warriors would probably be a top contender for him. They could trade. Probably, they would probably, sadly, actually, to trade for Giannis, would have to trade this pick or and um this pick and Clay Thompson for Giannis because of the contract situation. Though I actually think that it's a lot bigger of a cost to trade Thompson um, than most people would think because I think him and Steph really work really well together. Though I think maybe he's 30 years old at this point. He's coming off a torn ACL, which means he might not play as well as he previously was. And so maybe trading for the young two-time MVP might be the way to go with that. Though it really pains me considering I think Thompson works really well with Curry. But um, if they even if they don't trade, they get this top pick here. They have Curry, they have Thompson, they have Wiggins, they have Pascal, they have all those players. And then they also have, in the year after that, um, the Minnesota Timberwolves top pick um, because of the trade they made in this uh, offseason for D'Angelo Russell with um, the Timberwolves. And so they could easily get the top pick from the Timberwolves and, or one, one of the top picks from the Timberwolves in a couple of years here, which could really put them over the top and make them a championship contender. So I think the Warriors step well, the Celtics step well. I think the um, NBA draft lottery is very interesting to watch. It will be interesting to see how the NBA draft ends up turning out here very soon. Now I'm going to move on to my hot take. And so, my hot take for this episode is that Steph Curry is the best point guard of all time in NBA history. And so, I think that, I know I've said this before probably, I don't remember exactly if I have, but um, I think there's a lot of stuff going on recently with Dame, who's playing really, really, really well for the Trailblazers. And a lot of people are actually saying that they believe that Damian Lillard is a better point guard than Steph Curry. And I think this is mainly because, obviously, Damian Lillard is having a historic run at the moment. And I think this is also because Steph Curry has not played a lot recently. Um, and so he hasn't played in a while, and many people don't necessarily have a lot of recency bias in what they're saying here. But I think that with this, I think it's a great time to basically state my point here. My hot take is that Steph Curry is the best point guard of all time because 
I think he is by far the best shooter of all time in many ways. He's kind of changed the way players look at shooting in the NBA, and he's changed all that three-pointers made, all those different things, set a bunch of different records for all that stuff. He's led his team to multiple championships through that, with and without KD. And so um, I also think that though Magic Johnson was absolutely an amazing point guard, I don't think that he has that shooting um, ability that Steph had that I think that puts Steph above the top. And I think that Steph is just such a dynamic playmaker and a championship leader here. Um, and that's why I think that Steph is the best point guard of all time. Because I think he has just he really changed the game in a way that no other point guard has ever changed the game with the way he shoots and the way everything he does here and how dynamic and clutch he is as a player. And he is better than Dame, obviously. Um, and I don't know why people necessarily think that because... It's just because of the recency bias that Dame has been playing so well recently and Steph hasn't played in a fairly long time because of his injury. But my hot take is that Steph Curry is the best point guard of all time in NBA history and a top 10 player of all time in NBA history. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. As always... I say um, come back for our next episode, which will be out on Sunday, the 23rd of August. Um, And I will continue to be putting out these episodes every week, one on Friday and one on Sunday, about all sports, including football, baseball, and basketball. Specifically, as always, follow um, on Spotify, subscribe on Apple and iTunes, and rate five stars as well, and leave a comment if you want. And so we're working on getting it fully up on iTunes and Apple and stuff, and I've been really looking into that to figure out how to do that correctly. And I'm still that stuff, but it is fully on Spotify for listening here, as you may know. And um, I hope you enjoyed this episode, as I said. And um, come back again on Sunday. So thank you. Bye.